Thank you all for being here. We're going to be in Psalm 119, starting in the 17th set. That means we only have four more sets, Uh, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. I'm sorry, five more sets, because there's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and each, there are eight sets, uh, there are 22 sets of eight, which is 176 verses, and we're on the 17th, which starts in Psalm 1, uh, verse 129. All right, let's read 129 down through verse number 136. It says this, Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It giveth understanding unto the simple. I opened my mouth and panted, for I longed for thy commandments. Look thou upon me and be merciful unto me, as thou usest to do unto those that love thy name. Order my steps in thy word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Deliver me from the oppression of man, so will I keep thy precepts. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant, and teach me thy statutes. Rivers of water run down mine eyes, because they keep not thy law. All right, let's pray together. Our Father, thank you, Lord, for what you have done in our lives. Thank you for, it's not just about what you've done in our lives, although that's the the effect and the application of the great things you've done in Christ. Thank you for... Uh, becoming our Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross in our place, bearing our sins. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you for giving us hope. Thank you for what you've done in each and every person here to make them into the, the, uh, the disciple that you intend for them to be. And Lord, there's greater things yet ahead for each one of, each one of us here. And Lord, I pray for uh, this, this section of the 17th set in Psalm 119 that we'll study today. Lord, guide us, teach us, instruct us. Lord, I pray that your spirit would truly uh, teach us and, in, and instruct us in your ways to prick our hearts, to bring to our remembrance the things we need on an individual basis. Lord, you know our lives and you know the things we, we struggle with and you know the things that need strengthening and edification. So, Lord, in this work, this is not a work of of man. This is a work of God. And so, Lord, we commit it to you, this Sunday school. But not only our class, but also, Lord, we commit to you the class, uh, the classes uh, that are downstairs. We pray for your blessings upon uh, Miss Pam's and Miss McLean's class and the youth class. We pray for your blessings upon um, upon all that's said and done down there. That that each kid would be strengthened and would increase in knowledge and understanding and would know you better. And Lord, I do pray uh, that you'd bless and help Sister uh, Judy and that you would strengthen her body, give her a full recovery uh, from this uh, procedure she had on Thursday. And Lord, we also pray for uh, the VBS to come uh, in the cu- a couple of weeks. Lord, please, uh, would you please bring in those, those kids that you desire to be here, Lord? We do desire to see the classes filled with kids, and we ask you that you would do that, that you would stir up people's hearts to uh, not only the parents and also the kids, that they would want to be here, and that, Lord, that you would fill us with understanding and wisdom to know how to instruct them. And, uh, Lord, bless that time, and I pray it would be profitable for eternity. 
And uh, Lord, so Lord, we ask you to meet with us and bless us in our class here this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 129 says, Thy testimonies are wonderful, therefore doth my soul keep them. Now, there's two things I want you to see from this. Uh, over and over, as we've looked in Psalm 119, and we're on the 129th verse, we've gone through 128 verses. And at various times, we've seen the psalmist describe the wonder of God's Word. And uh, both the wonder of it objectively, and also the wonder of it as how it has benefited and helped the psalmist. And that's one of the, again, just as a reminder, that's one of the great benefits of Psalm 119, is that it is primarily a conversation between a believer and his God. This back and forth. And it's a, it's a conversation that deals primarily with a believer's personal relationship to God and his personal devotion to God and interaction with God in reference to God's Word and how the Word of God affects the believer. And, you know, I know the Word of God, sometimes on a day-to-day basis, like I've been reading through Romans, and as I was reading through Romans, you know, sometimes you read in your daily Bible reading, and, you know, it's, I mean, nothing really jumps out at you, you might say, you know, because especially if you've been reading the Bible a long time, you've read through it, you know, lots of times, dozens of times, and you you know what it's going to say, and You've read it before and all those things. And so sometimes you read through the, through the Bible and, you know, nothing like leaps out at you like it does at other times. And, and so it's on a day-to-day basis, sometimes it's hard to see the, the Word of God and its effect upon you. But when you look at it over the long view, how has the Word of God affected you? How has the Word of God changed you? The, the entrance, as we read in verse number 130, the entrance of the Word of God in your life, how has it affected your decisions? How has it affected your values? How has it affected your uh, motives? How has it affected what you've chosen to do in your life? You know, And when you look at over the long view, you kind of go up a little bit higher with an altitude and you can look at yourself and you can look at your life. Hopefully you can see that the Word of God has had a huge influence over what you've decided to do, what your decisions were. And uh, for instance, who you marry, who you, did, who you don't marry, you know, where you go to church, where you don't go to church. And all of those decisions have downstream effects that, that affect your life and your kids and your grandkids and so many other things around you. So, so objectively, verse 129 says, thy testimonies are wonderful. So as a, as a first matter... As a first matter, we have to understand that no matter how you, no matter how I might feel or think about God's testimonies, they are wonderful. Now, I'm, I'm going to ask you a kind of a probing question. I want you to, you don't have to answer out loud, of course, but answer to yourself. Has it, has it ever crossed your mind that the Word of God is just kind of humdrum? When you've been reading it, you just thought, uh, yeah, that it's just been duty, just been kind of, I want to say a Cambodian word that would fit just perfectly. My wife probably knows what it is. All right, the word is tomada, tomada, which is 
It means normal, but the kind of humdrum, you know, there's nothing special about it. Have you ever thought that? Even as a believer, as a Christian, I bet you have. Now, you know in your head, you know in your head that it's not that way. You know the Word of God is unique. The Word of God is special. The Word of God is is fantastic. It It contains and is the truth that cannot be found anywhere else. It's like a treasure. You know, it's something to be prized above all other things. Now, you know that intellectually, but I'm talking about the way in your sensibilities. You know, sometimes the, what we know in our head and the way we feel don't always line up, right? Sometimes they contradict. And that's why our feelings must be subject to the truth and to our faith in the truth. But anyhow, some, sometimes we, when we interact with God's Word, Sometimes we do get the sense, or, or even if we don't say it, that, you know, it's just, it's just a thing. You know, it's just, it's just a thing in our life. And so we don't feel like it's wonderful. Now, the psalmist here, though, feels like it's wonderful, right? He's saying, thy testimony. So at that moment, he's saying it, and we know objectively the Word of God, the, the testimonies of God are, are wonderful. So that's the first thing I want us to see. No matter how you feel, no matter how I, I feel about God's Word, God's Word is wonderful. Furthermore, no matter how this world feels about God's Word, it is wonderful. You know, there are people that absolutely hate God's Word. Poor old Mr. Rob, giving Miss, uh, Miss Lynn Aguilar a hard time, couldn't care less if someone passes out coupons for free pizza, in her neighborhood, couldn't care less if they were passing out, you know, couldn't care less about all the trash that Mrs. Aguilar has picked up with her own hands in her neighborhood because she cares about it. He couldn't care less about that trash, but he sees one flyer for VBS that we, that, that we put in the mailboxes securely, you know, so the wind won't blow them away, so people will get them, right? He sees one laying on the ground and the whole neighborhood's full of trash. You know, he sees us passing out, not us, he sees Sister Aguilar passing out one VBS flyer about, about church, about Christ, and the whole neighborhood's gone to pot. It's melting down. Why? The reality is, and Sister Aguilar knows this, many of you know this, that's because it has nothing to do with litter, has nothing to do with solicitation, and it has nothing to do with postal regulations, where you can put, no. It has to do with what's on that and what it represents, what that flyer represents. The truth is those flyers, they don't really have anything about Christ directly on them, but it's what it represents. And it arouses the hatred of this world. Now, not everyone, but in many cases it does, right? And that's an example of that. So no matter what we think of the Word of God, it's wonderful. No matter from day to day as we, you know, kind of vacillate and as we kind of go up and down in our feelings and are not consistent because often we're not, no matter how we feel about the Word of God on a, on a, day, on a day-to-day basis from day-to-day, it is wonderful. And no matter what this world thinks about the Word of God, it's wonderful. That's the objective view. But, and I want to read something. This was uh, written by Spurgeon. Actually, it's probably a quotation. Spurgeon loved to quote people. So most of his books are just quotations, but it's a good quotation. Listen to this. The Bible itself is an astonishing and 
is an astonishing and standing miracle written fragment by fragment through the course of 15 centuries under different states of society and in different languages by persons of the most opposite tempers, talents, and conditions, learned and unlearned, prince and peasant, bond and free, cast into every form of instruction, instructive composition and good writing, history, prophecy, poetry, allegory, emblematic representation, judicious interpretation, literal statement, precept, example, proverbs, disquisition, epistle, sermon, prayer, in short, all rational shapes of human discourse. Imagine that. Do you, do you understand what this just said? This is, this is really interesting. The Word of God contains all rational shapes of human discourse, all genres of communication that might be. There's dialogue in there, there's narrative, there's history, there's records, there's government documents, there's poetry, proverbs, principles, precepts, laws, commandments, uh, dictation from God, uh, a disciple of God speaking his heart. All, yeah, I mean, you could just go on and on and on and on. There is always something in God's word that, that brings it right down to where we are, where it's totally and absolutely re relevant. Everybody loves that word, relevant. But that's what it means. It means we see ourselves and it's useful to us because we identify with it. It says, uh, all rational shapes of human discourse and treating moreover on subjects not obvious, but most difficult. Its authors are not found like other men, contradicting one another upon the most ordinary of matters of fact and opinion, but are at harmony upon the whole of their sublime and momentous scheme. You think about, he says, the Word of God is written fragment by fragment. You, you know that? There's no, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know the Catholic Church wrote the, the, you wrote the Bible in the 300s. Whatever. That, that is a line. That is a line that this world teaches of the Word of God, that it was just, although, you know, the Catholics just basically wrote it in the 300s. It was established in the, what, what council was that? The Council of Nicaea, I believe it was. The Catholics wrote, no, 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 no. The Word of God was written piece by piece by different authors under the direct supervision and leadership of the Spirit of God. And that's the only source of its unity. That's it. That's it. You know, all these other works of, uh, of, uh, of literature have their, I guess, their benefit, but there is, there is nothing even remotely comparable to God's Word. This is the objective fact of the wonder of God's testimonies. This is the objective fact. There, and there are many, many, many other reasons how that the word, the word of God is wonderful, how that the Word of God speaks directly. It cuts through all the muck and the mire, all the show, all the facade, all the smoke and mirrors of society, all the hype, all the sensationalism. It cuts right down to the very heart of man and speaks directly to that. Why? Because God knows the heart of man. And you know what? He wrote it so long ago, and yet it still does that. It is the only book that is alive, right? What verse says that the Bible is, God's word is alive? Come on now. 
what they're an animal, say alive. What is that? There you go. Quick, exactly. I was just, just messing with Joseph, of course. The word of God is quick. It's living because it comes from the God who is alive. But the second thing I want us to see in this, so objectively, the word of God, God's testimonies are wonderful. That is a fact. The second thing is the, the part where we need to kind of get in sync and get on God's wavelength on that. Because as I said, we don't always feel that way about it. Sometimes the word of God is not, is not as significant to us in the moment as it should be or as it truly is. Certainly not as it truly is. What this verse is also then is an expression of how the psalmist sees God's word. So God's word is wonderful, but this is also an expression. Remember going back to how the, the, the Psalm 119 is, is often a, relation, a demonstration of the relationship of the psalmist to God by his word. The word of God, this is a, an expression of the psalmist of how he feels toward the word of God. So let me ask you a question. Or well, let, let me just remind you of something rather. If there is a time when, when we feel like God's word is humdrum, something we've become so intimately familiar with that it's lost its wonder. We need to remember at that point that the problem is found in us. Right? And if you get down to read your, your Bible or you get, you get to, to hear, you come to church to hear preaching, which I hope that our church is preaching, remains and, and is in the future preaching that is scriptural preaching, right? That's what we want, preaching the Word, right? So if you get down to read your Bible or you get down to hear preaching or teaching in Sunday school or wherever you might be, maybe you listen to it on the radio, maybe you listen to recorded sermons, whatever the case might be, and, and you sit down to, to read or to listen to God's Word, and there's not expectation, there's not desire, there's, you have just kind of a flat line of feeling toward God's Word. That, that is often the case. If that's the case, then the, stop. Stop right then. Because this, the, the remedy for that is so easy. It's not hard. The reality is that God knows our frame he knows that we, from day to day, have ups and downs of emotion. Like the last few days, I've had this cold that just won't quit. I get out on Wednesday night, uh, on, on Wednesday rather, where I was preparing for Wednesday night. Maybe you guys were picked, it, picked up on it on Wednesday night. I don't know. But preparing, I mean, I could, I could barely stay awake, couldn't concentrate. You know why? It was just this, 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 this cold that's been going around. It was just bothering me irritate my mind, and so it affected the way I, you know, I was viewing God's Word. And not just that, but sometimes our feelings do that as well. But the point is, when we get in that place and we feel we, we just, we're not impressed, well, we need to stop and we need to go to the author and say, Lord, you know me. I know your Word is better than I feel it is right now. <laughs> Lord, help me. Quicken my mind. Make, make my eyes open to what it says. Stir my heart with it. We can go directly to the author, and the author, with direct access to us, as we're going to learn this morning, 
because we have the Spirit of God can quicken our minds and enliven us and warm us to God's Word such that we can say with heartfelt vigor, thy testimonies are wonderful. You see what I'm saying? They are wonderful. Let us feel they are wonderful. Let us know they are wonderful. Let us, let us experience that wonder personally. Look at verse 133. <clears throat> I'm not going to cover verse 130 because we've already, already covered that. Uh, I will just say this one thing in verse 130 is that uh, we talked about the Word of God as it relates to light. This is a little bit different than the one we looked at before where, where the Word of God is a lamp unto my feet, 105, and a light unto my path, referring to how God's Word shines upon the path that we are walking. This is a little bit different in that it is, it is showing how the Word of God shines light upon any matter, any circumstance to give understanding. And that comes from the word simple. A person who is simple is just someone who is ignorant, naive. That's all that means. It's not necessarily an insult, although it can be. To be a simple, a simple person, biblically speaking, is a person who's just naive, who doesn't have knowledge. Now, we should have knowledge, but a lot of times people are simple because, they are, uh, because they're ignorant of God, what God says. And the bad thing is that simplicity, in that sense often means that that simple person who doesn't have knowledge of God's Word is going to be led by what? By lust. That's what you find. The man void of understanding, where does he go? In Proverbs, he goes to the house of the whore. I'm just using a biblical term. Because he's just being led about by his lust, by his nature, because he doesn't know better. Well, he should know better, but he doesn't. This, this, however, the Word of God is light, and it, it, it gives us knowledge so that we're no longer simple. We're no longer ignorant of what's happening around us. We're no longer ignorant of our own nature. We're no longer ignorant. It just, it just, lights, it just enlightens the room so that what is there is easy to be seen. And what that does is it makes us knowledgeable. It makes us knowledgeable. Let's move on. I opened my mouth and panted, for I long for thy commandments. I know just as we pass going to verse 33, there have been a couple of, a couple, a few times in my life where I did not have the word of God. I did not have access to God's word for, very, for various reasons. And after a few days, it was like, I don't like this anymore. Have any of you ever been in a situation like that where you could not, you did not have God's word for some reason? Maybe you forgot your Bible back before the days of cell phones. How many of you remember the days before cell phones? Raise your hand. How many of you long for the days before cell phones? <laughs> How many of you pant <laughs> like the verse that? But sometimes, you know, we get to the point where, you know, we, we're, we're in the Word of God every day so much that we forget how much we need it. And so sometimes I think the Lord just kind of gets us in a place where we don't have it. Just to, we start to realize that all of a sudden we find our tongue sticking out. I realize I needed it more than I thought I needed it. And that's the way it is. Verse 133. Order my steps in thy word and let not iniquity have dominion over me. 
<clears throat> couple of things to say here. The steps refer to our, our actions, our lifestyle, our choices, right? I know what I'm about to say is, is very simple. This is not hard. But I, I want us to kind of think, think on it a minute. God's word should determine the choices we make. Amen. It should have direction in our life. It should determine what we say and not say, where we go and not go, what we do and what we don't do. It should determine the choices we make and where we work, who we have a relationship with, who we marry, and how we deal with our money. The Word of God is it is in our life to tell us what to do. Amen. So that we don't have to make these decisions on our own. Of course, there's an element of faith there where we have to surrender to that, submit to that, and believe that God's way is the best. But how many decisions do you make that are just completely separated from God's word? that have no relationship to God's Word at all, where God's Word is not directing and ordering what you choose to do. In other words, you didn't even think about it. It didn't even cross your mind. Well, what, is, what, is God, what does the Bible say? That's what it means to be a Bible Christian. We not only believe it, but it is the standard. We, call it, we talk about Baptist doctrine. What does the Baptist believe? The Bible is the sole rule for what? What do they say? Faith. And practice. What does that mean? Practice is what you do. And you know what? If you allow the Scriptures to order your steps and you allow the Scriptures to tell you what to do, that alone, by itself, without any other considerations that might be things to also consider, that alone will make you distinct from every other type of Christian. And I'm not trying to cast shade on any on any necessarily any Christian group, but I'm talking about if you took if you took 100 people that say, "Are you a Christian?" They say, "Yes, I'm a Christian." You took 100 of them. But you are the person who allows the word of God to direct what you do. That will set you apart from those 100 from that 100. That's just not a thing. It's just not a thing, generally speaking. You know, I had a, an incident at our, at our house with one of our dogs. Uh, I, I actually, I didn't have an incident. Poor old Joshua and Isaiah had an incident because one of our dogs got out and a guy was walking his dog. And he, um, anyway, our dog went around the front of the house. We let him out in the back and he went around the front of the house and our dog's a male and he's, you know, he's, fairly dominant and we weren't paying attention and he got around the front of the house and he went he wanted to approach that dog and it turned into a huge fiasco and they were yelling and screaming and all that kind of stuff nothing nothing happened nobody was hurt or anything but it was a it was a huge fiasco big public whatever you know now the guy yelled at Joshua 
about what we needed to do with our dog. But later, I guess that was on Friday or something, on Saturday, the next day on Sunday, this had been the last Sunday, <clears throat> he came to our house and knocked on the door. And I knew what it was about, you know. And I was right. He wanted to come and tell me what I needed to do with our dog, you know. And that's why he came over. You know, at that moment, at that moment, as I was going down, downstairs to open the door and talk to the guy, I had a decision to make. Am I going to do what God says? Amen. See what I'm saying? Am I going to allow God's word to tell me how I respond? That's what I'm talking about. You see what I'm saying? It's in individual decisions like that. Or am I just going to just, just say what I think? Just let, just, I, just, I just give him a piece of my mind. Well, I mean, that's, that's fine if you want to do it. But, but see, order my steps in thy word means, hold on, this is what God says to do, not to do. All right, I have to. So that, what did that mean? For me, don't speak in anger, right? The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. What that mean? Show honor to all men. You know, I'm just, I'm referring to verses that just relate to it. So even as I had to talk to this man about what he had done when he yelled at my children, and even though, and another thing I had to do is I had to say, I'm sorry, my dog should not have been out front. It won't happen again. We, we will take steps to deal with it. You know, all of that, that deals with so many things come into that one decision. But the question is whether I would allow the word of God to order my steps or not. See, that's what it means in that situation and in a thousand other situations in your life and my life. Yes, sir. can't possibly live for eternity unless you know what the Bible says to do, Amen. right? Amen. <laughs> it's true. And I think in those moments where a response is demanded of you in that moment, because there are moments that come upon you and you have no choice in the matter, I think the Lord can give wisdom. You think of Nehemiah, you know, when the king said, why are you crying? <laughs> What's wrong? You're just sad. What's wrong with you? And he said, what did he say? And I prayed to the God of it. <laughs> I don't know how long it took, but, <laughs> but anyhow. The second part of this verse says this, verse 133. And let not any iniquity, of course that's sin, have dominion over me. Amen. Jesus said this. 
John 8, 34. Jesus answered and said, Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. You know, we have such a warped idea of freedom. Freedom is not, I can do whatever I want. It never has been. For sin to have dominion over us, that means we have a master. <laughs> so much for freedom. Jesus said, you commit sin, you're the servant of sin. That, is, that means sin is your master. And I think, going back to 1773, 1774, 1775, I'm pretty sure that King George was the equivalent of that. You know, he was a king. The colonies were, were, were under servitude, you know, uh, they, you know. At least that's the way they felt at that moment. To have a master means you are not free. And Jesus said, if you commit sin, you're a servant of sin. You're not free. For we are dominated by another. And when we have a master, we cannot do as we wish. We must do as our master dictates. And in this case, the master is what? Sin. That's why sinners sin because they are dominated. They think they're free. I can do whatever I want, when in fact they're dominated. They only do as they're instructed. This is what it means to have, for sin to have dominion over us. But freedom, on the other hand, in its true and unperverted sense, is to have none to dominate us so that we can do as we wish. Here's the problem. When we sin, sin becomes our dominator, it becomes our master, and we become its slaves, despite the illusion of freedom. See, the problem is, is that the only way to have freedom from sin is to have a different master and a different heart, such that what we wish is what our Lord wants. You see what I'm saying? So all of us are serving something. It's just that it's just in this world, the people who are, who are dominated by sin under its dominion think they have freedom because they're not bound by God's commandments to, you know. But actually they're dominated by sin. And the difference is that the, their master is cruel and oppressive. Their master will use and abuse them, spit them out, and in the end, they go to hellfire. Our master is kind, and he gives peace and joy and freedom from sin, and he gives us a new heart and new desires Amen. that makes us so that we are indeed free. That is, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> it's just that he's put new wants in our heart. Amen. You see how that works? All right, we're out of time. We'll have to pause there. Let's pray together.